0: All right, can I invite you to open up your Bibles if you've got them with you, if uh, not your phones? No sneaky looking on your uh, social media, please. (laughs) I'll just open it to Facebook, chapter one. (laughs) All right, we're in Revelation, uh, chapter two, part of this uh, new series we're doing um, on these first three uh chapters of Revelation which include the seven letters. If we can bring up the PowerPoint, seven letters to to the seven churches in modern day Turkey. Uh, Asia Minor as it was back then, uh, literally referred to in scripture as Asia, but that's what they mean, that part of the world there. And we've called this one Dear Church. They're all called Dear Church because these are letters from Jesus. Dear church, where's your first love dear church where's your first love all right before we get stuck in I just want to pray lord speak to us this morning we pray lord speak to each and every individual and I pray change each and every heart this morning fill us afresh Change us, Lord, more into your likeness and set our hearts on fire for you. For I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, good. All right, love songs. I thought I'd start here. Um, Who's a fan of a nice schmoozy love song. Anyone listen to Radio 2? I can't think who it is. Some dreadful program comes on with love songs and I normally switch over to something else, I'll be honest. But this is, you and I like this, name the song from the lyrics. So I'm going to give you a line from a famous love song, see if you're any good. Okay, here are some love song lyrics. Take my hand, take my whole life too. For I can't help falling in love with you. (laughs) Any ideas? Shout it out. Elvis? Can't help falling in love. Alright, next one. I would not leave you in times of trouble. We never could have come this far. I take the good times. I'll take the bad times. (laughs) I'll take you just the way you are. Yeah, you've got it. Billy Joel. Anyone know that was Billy Joel? I've never even heard of Billy Joel, but Colin knew it. Sorry, I'm... <laughs> the faces of indignation. Right. Next Out now. <laughs> Next church meeting. We've had enough. We've had enough. All right. Good. Um, this one. I hope you don't mind that I put down in words how wonderful life is. How uh, you're in the world. Out John. Yeah. What's it called? Your song, someone got it right. Okay, okay, this is a good one. Don't tell me it's not worth trying for. You can't tell me it's not worth dying for. You know it's true. Everything I do. We need Mig to sing that one, really. I do it for you. Who is it? Brian Adams. Adams. That's a quality song. Um, okay. Oh yes. <laughs> but I would walk 500 miles. There you go, that's enough. Um, And I would walk 500 more just to be the man who walked a 1,000 miles to fall down at your door. The Proclaimers, of course. And this one. Your love is better than ice cream. (laughs) I know. It was on the list of famous love song lyrics. Not one I know, I'll be honest. I'm sure you want to know that. Sarah McLachlan... Ice cream. There you, are, you can look that one up and enjoy that song. Who knew? But what a lovely thing to say to somebody. Your love's better than ice cream. Thank you. That's really kind. Um, you'll not be surprised that it wasn't hard to find song lyrics about love. As a concept, it captivates us. It has done throughout the whole of human history. We've produced artwork and uh, philosophy and uh, we've written poems and stories and plays about the beauty and the compelling nature of love, about the tragedy of love, and there's a reason for that, I believe. It's because the capacity to love is something that God's put in each and every one of us. And In fact, it may be one of the greatest God-given gifts we possess. What I'm talking about here is more than eros, which is that uh, powerful emotion that can draw two lovers together, if you like, in while desire, physical love in that sense, I'm talking about another even more beautiful love, one that the New Testament calls agape. Its presence, this agape, runs through the Bible, all the way through the stories like a life-giving river, blessing everything it touches. When you see it and you encounter it, we're always left challenged and amazed and at the wonder Love Agape, it's a selfless love, it's a wholehearted devotion to another, it's a desire for their affection, but more than that, a desire to seek their good, to orientate our whole lives towards caring for the other, no matter what. A longing to see them pleased and honored, to lay down our own rights, our own needs, our own demands, so that they might be prioritized, to tenderly care for them, to bind wounds, to love them when they are struggling to lift them up when they are down to give, even when it costs, to sacrifice for their well-being. This love, agape, is what God has ordained to be at the heart of marriage. It's also what he has ordained to be at the heart of church life. Interesting. And friends, this agape, selfless, devotion, and delight, and orientation towards the other with our whole lives, what God has ordained and calls us to have at the heart of our relationship with him. We have our own love songs, don't we, as church. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. He should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days have been held in your hands. And the Bible tells us that God doesn't just value our capacity to love. So like, that's a good thing. That's nice. He didn't just create love. The Bible tells us God is love. And if we as a church claim to be followers of Jesus, if we as Creech Baptist Church claim in any way that we know or follow God, then love should be at the centre of everything we are and do. We should be marked by an utter devotion a total orientation towards Jesus, an utter love for him. And from this, love will overflow in devotion to one another and to this hurting world that he so loves that he gave his life for. The problem we discover as we open this first letter is that it's easy to sing about this love. It's nice to talk about it. It's nice to try and work really hard to practically show it if we can. But even with all of that, it's possible to have actually lost our genuine love for Jesus underneath it all. Underneath all the churchiness. So let's open the envelope, if you like. Let's find out a little bit more about what this letter has to say. The first question in opening the letter in the ancient world was who's written this letter because who wrote it sets the tone for the letter. It was Aristotle, a Greek philosopher, that taught that the trustworthiness and character of the speaker is the most crucial element in making something persuasive. I.e., unlike us who put our name at the bottom, we wanted the name at the top. Who's saying? Whose words are these? I want to know who they are. Can I trust them? Are these words that I want to take seriously? That's why Paul always starts his letters with, in the new testament i paul then he gives his credentials normally an apostle called by jesus i write to you now listen up this letter isn't written by someone called by jesus this letter through the revelation that john received on the island of patmos when he was in the spirit he dictated the words of christ this letter is written by jesus himself verse one these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. These are the words of the glorified, risen Jesus. So listen up. This matters. Matters to us today. Just as much as it mattered then. He tells us that he's the one who holds the stars in his hands. Stars represent the angels of the churches or the character or the spirit of the churches. He's the one who protects and cares for his church. Remember, folks, church isn't our idea. It's not our human construction. Sure, we don't get it right all the time. We mess it up lots, but Jesus is the one who builds his church. Jesus died for his church. Jesus loves his church. Church is his idea. and He cares for the churches and he holds them in his right hand. And then it says he walks among the lampstands and the lampstands also represent church, the different churches, the seven churches particularly that these letters were written to. And Jesus is there walking among them it's saying Jesus is not far away. You may not always see him with your own eyes, but Jesus is always present. Sure, everywhere in the world we say, oh, God's omnipresent. What difference does it make? I get that. The Bible makes it clear that Jesus is especially present where two or three gather in his name. He's especially present with us this morning. We can believe that. I quite like the picture. It's both encouraging and ominous. Jesus walking among the aisles this morning, isn't it? It's like he's there like a, like a parent that if we're, if we're struggling or if we need nurture, if we need care, we can just look up and we can see him and he's there and he loves us and he reaches out and he says, it's okay. But he's also a little bit like a king inspecting the troops. Are you guys ready? Are you paying attention? Are you present and correct? <laughs> it's a bit of both there. The risen Jesus walking among the lampstands preach let's listen to the words of the one who's the head of our church and who longs to speak to us this morning this is who's writing so who's he writing to who's receiving Ephesus the most significant city of the seven that are written to here it's no mistake that they come first you may think you've heard of Ephesus before in the bible and you'll write Ephesians it's the same church Book of Ephesians written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. In fact, you pick it up first in Acts 18, 19, where it says that Paul stayed there for two years and built the church, if you like, by reasoning with the Ephesian people and the church grew. Trouble is, this was a place that didn't like Paul's message much. Due to its harbour, you can see it on the map here. Due to its harbour, so here's here's a nice map for mappy people. Um, is that a phrase? Any mappy people here? <laughs> I don't mind a map. Um, Here's Patmos, and here's Ephesus. You can see this is the trip that the messenger would have taken the letter, this round-robin letter that would have been read, this revelation that would have been read to all the churches. Um, And here it is. These days in Turkey, Ephesus is quite far inland, it's several miles in. That's because its harbour silted up back in the days of the New Testament. It was directly on the seafront, and it had a really important harbour. And all the major roads ran through Ephesus it was a proud and stunning city filled with beautiful architecture and significant buildings and gorgeous boulevards. Um, it was also the centre of the local Roman government. Uh, it was the centre of the imperial cult. That was the cult that was developing that began to say that the previous Caesars were in fact gods, that we should worship the emperors of this great and mighty empire, Rome. Um, It meant that this place was a cultural and religious melting pot. It was a famous religious tourist destination, if you like. I want to go to Ephesus. I want to check out, uh, what's going on there, buy some good luck charms, some shrines of some of the local gods. But at its heart was this most stunning temple. Huge building with glorious Greek columns. And it was a temple to Artemis or Diana, uh, both a local God, but a God known wider in the Greek and Roman world. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. You know, we talk about the seven wonders. This Ephesus held, perhaps, some writers say, the most glorious of them all. The Ephesians were hugely proud of their significant city and of their God, Artemis. But they were also happy to allow all the other gods and temples that filled the city, a bit of this God, a bit of that charm. It was a bit of a pick-and-mix place of syncretism, so the presence of Paul, you knew what he was like. And <laughs> you had to ruffle feathers saying, that actually, there's one God. And you only come to know him through Jesus Christ. Well, they didn't like that much. It didn't go down well. You can read about the riot in Acts 19 later today, if you fancy finding out what happened when Paul suggested that in Ephesus. And yet, the church really grew in this context, guys. It was a com- cosmopolitan context, and the church grew to become the mega city. Uh, the mega church of its day. 250,000 people back then in Ephesus. The church grew hugely. Obviously not 250 in the church, that was in the whole city. Um, and it became the famous church that all around the region, other churches heard of and strived to be like. Like the Willow Creek Church. What's Ephesus up to? Can I get the latest book on the latest ministry from Ephesus? The kind of church that attracted significant people to come and maybe retire to at the end of their significant ministries. We think John actually retired to the church in Ephesus, the guy who uh, encountered Jesus here and wrote this vision um, before he was probably booted then to Patmos to try and shut him up. Bless them, it didn't work at all, did it? Uh, Which is marvellous. But this is Ephesus and the church grew hugely. It was the place for Christians to be and be seen. Paul would write to the Ephesians in AD 60, so it was set up around AD 50. Ten years later, Paul would write back to them the book of Ephesians in your Bibles um, nearly a decade after its foundation. He'd say this about the amazing testaments he heard of the extraordinary things happening in Ephesus. For this reason, he says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Lord, thank you for the church at Ephesus. Wow, their faith and their love. What an extraordinary gospel story. Now we jump 30 years ahead. AD 19. Church is 40 years old at this time. It's no longer a new church. It's well established, but it's still going strong. We read in this letter that all, that they're up to these extraordinary and great things. Jesus writes them, verse 2. He says this, I know your deeds, Ephesus, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not. And you have found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and you've not grown weary. Just listen to that. Listen to what Jesus has to say about that church. It's an extraordinary church that is really active. It's doing loads of great stuff. They're working really hard as a community together. They're organized, planned, focused. They've probably got a cracking vision. They're all in line with it. They no doubt have engaging and relevant programs in evangelism and outreach and social care and prayer and discipleship and pastoral care. They have great momentum. They've got a positive attitude. They keep going even when it's tough. This is also a church that believes the right things. It's a church where truth matters, lies are not tolerated at Ephesus. It's a place where many of the false leaders that went round to the churches at this time, it's a real problem in the early uh, early church that these people suddenly found newfound power would go and give these strange teachings and try and win people over to their way rather than the way of Christ. It didn't wash Ephesus because they lived in this cultural melting pot because there were so many different ideas everywhere. They knew that they had to work hard studying the scriptures and what god taught they knew what they believed and they'd quickly boot out anyone that was trying to lead them astray and this is a church that endures over and over again hardship for jesus some probably lost their jobs been isolated from friends and family The church facing persecution criticism none of it's going to put them off from what they believe they've been battered they've been bruised by those who stand against jesus but they've not grown weary Friends, if we're honest, doesn't this church sound amazing? I could do a sermon on that alone and just say, guys, should we be more like the church in Ephesus, right? Wow, it's extraordinary. Surely Jesus can ask for nothing more from the Ephesians. However, Jesus had this to say to this big, and busy, and famous, and successful church. Yet I hold this against you, Ephesus. You have forsaken the love you had at first. The word forsaken, you've abandoned it. You've walked away, utterly neglected the love you had at first. It's the most cutting question Jesus asked them in all of these good and wonderful things. Where is your first love? Where has it gone? See, God's plan has always been to have a people, a people utterly centred, filled, and living out the reality of love in this world. People made in his image who would love his creation, just as he called us to from the very beginning. Will you take care of it just as I love it? Will you love it too? People who will love their fellow human beings, will you reach out to the other to the hurting, to the struggling. Will you love? And a people who love God, who choose Him, just as He utterly, deeply, everlastingly loves us and chooses us. You see, this is the great commission, the great commandment that God's people have always been called to. This one overarching purpose. In their lives. To love God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. And to love our neighbour as ourselves. This Jesus said is the most important commandment of all. This Jesus said summarises all of the law. If you want to know what it's about. Love God with everything. Love others just the same. This is it Jesus said. This is the oldest commandment. Jesus then says this is the newest commandment. It's always the commandment. What do we do Jesus? Well how about this one? Love. 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 Paul says, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I can have faith that can move mountains, i.e., if I'm an extraordinary, wonder working, miracle working, gloriously, epically, powerfully glorious Christian in everyone's eyes, but I have not love, then I'm nothing. Really? If I give all I possess to the poor, give my body over to hardship that I may boast, if I utterly give my life to others and, and, and do all these good-looking things, even enduring hardship, but I do not have love, Paul says, I gain nothing. Ephesian church, on the face of it, were very, very good at being church. But they failed in the most important thing of all, that great commandment from the beginning. They had forsaken and abandoned the love they had at first. Friends, we at Creech Baptist Church are called by Jesus To be lovers of God, first and foremost. I was talking about in that crisp packet sketch. First and foremost, passionately devoted, orientated towards God. This is the great relationship he's called our church into being for. And friends, if you personally are a follower of Jesus, then above all else you're called to be a lover of God. This is the great relationship and great joy God has made just for you. In this life. You should orientate your life towards him. Seek his face, seek his heart above all else. You should desire him, long for him, cherish him, delight in him, lay aside your own demands and rights to honour him. And as you do this, we discover that he's the one who desires you, longs for you, who cherishes you and delights in you. The one who laid aside his own demands and rights to rescue you because he utterly loves you beyond comprehension. We love, John put it this way, because he first loved us. It's the way it's always been. It's the people he's always longed for. When we love God like this, folks, his love compels us to change the lives we live. You can't love God like that and live a selfish life. It doesn't work. As we love God, his love then compels us to love our brothers and sisters, and to love a hurting, broken world, the outcast, the struggling, the lonely, no matter where they're from, who they are, what they wear, how they speak, that we love, that we love, that we love. And this is a people, people who love, that this world so desperately needs, this violent and hurting and struggling world right now. Friends, we're called to be that people. Whatever we do as a church together, is Creech, love's got to be at the heart of it. Lots of churches at the moment are beginning to try and work out this same-sex stuff, this gender stuff that's going around in all the newspapers and lots of people personally are journeying through in their own families. Lots of questions and lots of confusion. I want to say to you at some point, we'll look at that. We'll begin to explore that where we're at as a church. But what I would say to you, most of all, it all starts with love. Whether you've got it right, whether you're morally right, whether you're scripturally right, I gain nothing. I am nothing, unless I first love. It's the foundation. It's Jesus' foundation. Friends, God's always loved us like this from the beginning. And yet how readily, like the Ephesian church, We've neglected and sidelined and abandoned his love. God stoops down. Do you remember me telling you about that amazing picture that spoke to me when I was 16? When John's on the floor before the risen Christ, the glorified Christ, and Jesus stoops down to reach him. It's what God does to us all the time, reaching down in Jesus. I love you. I'm here. I'm with you. And we turn a blind eye and we are disinterested and we walk away and fail to love him back so casually, so nonchalantly. Yet this was the one thing Paul wanted, the Ephesian church, more than anything, to never, ever, ever lose. So they were founded, and then Paul wrote that letter ten years later, the letter to the Ephesian church, and it's extraordinary. He begs them to remain rooted in love. Follow God's example, Ephesians 5, therefore, as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 6, peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. It's tragic. By the time this letter is written, 40 years later, 30 years after that was. But their love for Jesus and for one another wasn't undying anymore. Jesus says to them, oh, Ephesian church, the love has died. Consider how far you've fallen. It's a great tragedy. Look up and see the heights that you once knew that love had taken you to, Jesus is saying. Now look where you are. Sure, busyness and programs and all sorts of things, but you're down low, grasping at the former things, desperate to impress. Everything of eternal substance is far out of your reach. Why? Because love's gone. How did this tragedy happen to such a successful church? to This capable church. Maybe that was its problem. Maybe it rested on its laurels. We're the big church with a good church, with a famous church. We're Ephesus. We were beloved of the Apostle Paul two years. He was with us, you know. Perhaps they got accustomed to doing church. Perhaps they became professional Christians, impressive Christians, organised Christians, busy and active Christians. You know, Ephesus was a busy and active and proud city with a rich history of success an impressive reputation, and so was the church. And yet, in it all, their hearts had grown cold, and their love had grown dim, and they'd fallen so far. The truth is, we can recognise it in our own lives, can't we? We can become professional Christians, busy Christians, we can do our Bible readings, attend our church services, our hearts can grow tired, too, underneath it all. Passion becomes weary, our fire becomes dim, becomes selfish or bored or distracted, become captivated and titillated by other things, our work, our family, our hobbies, our workouts, our pets, our houses, our cars, our phones, our plans, our holidays. We can consume TV and social media for hours and hours on end, driven on by the chase for an increasingly rare rush of endorphins numbed by the frivolous meaninglessness of it all, muddled by the endless confused thinking and chatter of this relentless world and when we come to our faith and we turn to God we end up feeling numb we become nonchalant a little arrogant, more disconnected maybe hardened, of course we still want to do good things, want to be a good Christian want to be busy and nice but we're not so open anymore we're not quite so eager as we once were we're a little more mature we say a little more seasoned a little more reserved. Ironically seasoned is the wrong word. A little more realistic. But really inside our hearts just grown cold. We're making excuses. Our love, our first love has grown dim. Problem is the human heart is fickle, isn't it? Rather than being lovers of God, scripture warns us in Timothy, in the end days people will become lovers of pleasure, and of men, lovers of power and of money of war. We can see its tragic consequences in our world today. When human hearts are not set on Jesus, when they love other things, we feel the pain and see the pain. Above all else, Scripture says, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. It also tells us, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? hearts desperately need to change Yet we cannot change our hearts by trying to be more like the ephesian church by simply being more active or more organized as christians we cannot change our hearts by being more informed or more orthodox or more correct christians jesus goes on to commend them for the way that they hate the practices of the nicolaitans just as he does now we don't know who these guys are but they're probably pretty toxic if jesus hates what they're doing possibly those who taught that whatever you do morally doesn't really matter, sexual promiscuity has no consequences, God doesn't really mind anything, go for it. And yet, even if you hate those who do evil or teach evil, even if you're quite correct, even if you get het up about issues of immorality, your heart can still be utterly devoid of love. In fact, as one commentator put it, and I love this, all too often those who have forgotten how to love specialise in hating error. Friends, perhaps like me, you long for your heart to be ablaze for Jesus again. It's what I want. Yet we've got a problem. We don't know how to set our hearts ablaze again. I just argue more passionately or try and believe more intensely. If I work harder or feel more guilty, it doesn't work. None of it works. But if we can't remedy this heart issue we've got, Jesus says to the Ephesian church, I'll take the lampstand away. A church without love isn't a church at all, Jesus says. Lampstand goes. Like the Ephesians, we're stuck. The situation is tragic. And yet. The amazing thing about the Gospels, there's always an and yet. And yet we're not on our own in this. God has not left us on our own in this situation. There is an answer. And it's this. Jesus gives it. Repent. Turn back. Turn to the one whose heart and love for God has never waned or dimmed or failed, ever. Repent and come back to Jesus. Repent and do the things you did at first, Jesus says. Turn around, come back to me, and let me set your hearts so ablaze. You've never experienced it like this before. Come on. Prioritise me again. Turn to me again. I'll fill you to overflowing with love. Because Jesus is the only one who's ever truly loved the Father with the fullness of love he deserves. He's the only human who ever loved the broken and the hurting truly. The fellow human beings around him truly. He's the only one who walked the path of accusation and trial and humiliation and shame Even though utterly innocent, total injustice was put upon him. And yet his heart and love for the Father never once dimmed. And his heart and love for us never dimmed for a moment. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's the only human being who's ever fulfilled the great commandment of God's law. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And to love your neighbour as yourself. But because Jesus did it, he has redeemed human heart he has redeemed this condition that we couldn't change and that's why paul wrote to the roman church and said we need to stop thinking about how to gratify our own desires the desires of our flesh instead we need to clothe ourselves with the lord jesus christ There's no point in striving to change these fallen hearts of ours in our own strength just be more of a better christian i'll ugh, love more ugh. doesn't work our only hope is to turn to jesus this morning To surrender to him, to place our faith and trust solely in him, to wonder again, as we were thinking about in the kids' talk, how he showed us the love of the Father. To see again as we take communion how he suffered and died, yet he never cursed God, he never strayed from love. And as we do this this morning, I want you to be open to him and invite him to change you again and your heart again. To stir up inside you love once more for God, just as he has. And by his grace, I want to say this to you this morning, he will, I believe that, he will. Because that's what he loves to do. It's the only remedy for the heart it's so easily accustomed to losing its first love, to let Christ change us from the inside out. And then we do the things that we first did. We don't do them first. We turn to him And then from that love, stirred again in our hearts, set ablaze again, we begin to love others the right way, and do church the right way, and worship in spirit and truth, and have that saltiness, that fire, return back to us. This is Paul's great prayer for the Ephesians, and I'll finish with it before we turn to the communion table. Ephesian church, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you Friends, Jesus is speaking this morning. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, he gives the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Friends, I ask you, where is your first love? Turn to Jesus and let him set your heart and my heart on fire again. Come on, Jesus. We need you. Come and do it, Lord. Amen.